Would you please pray with me? O righteous and almighty God, hear the praise of those who fear you and esteem your holy name. Father, we confess that at times our commitment to you is lacking. We do not do all that we should do, and we too often do what we ought not do. As we look at at this passage in Malachi, I pray that you would use your truth, God, to transform our hearts. We want to think and act more like the remnant than the rebels. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds by stripping away all pride, all distractions, and anything else that keeps us from hearing how you will apply this lesson to our lives. To that end, dear Lord, take away all iniquity and receive me graciously that I may offer the fruit of my lips. Fill me with your presence so that your word goes forth in your power. This I pray in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. How differently would you live if you knew that your every thought, word, and deed was being recorded? Imagine every single thought, every single word, every single act was written down and preserved for all time. Now, imagine if the one who wrote all these things down was God. If God kept a diary or a journal, what would he write about you? Imagine this. God sits down and he opens up his journal and he writes a journal entry for February 16th, 2022. Dear Diary, Today, my beloved child, then fill in your name. What would God write about you? Would he praise you for your faithfulness in trusting him? Or your boldness in serving him? Or would he record your hard words against him? In our passage this week, two important facts must be kept in view. First, that God is righteous And second, that God records everything. So first, God is a righteous God. This means that he is a just and holy God who never, ever changes. He is sovereign and majestic, unerringly faithful and good. He always does what is perfectly right in all circumstances. He is infinitely pure. Therefore, he must be opposed to all sin. His righteousness is an uncompromising righteousness. Second, God records everything. Scripture clearly teaches this. In Psalm 56, 8, the psalmist writes, You keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Psalm 139.16 says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 through 37, Jesus warns, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. 
For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Then in Revelation 20:12, the Apostle John says, I saw the dead standing before God's throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done while on earth. This was written in the books. Revelation 13.8 adds that written in the book of life is the name of each one that God has chosen as his own before the foundation of the world. But when we get to Malachi chapter 3, it speaks of another book, the book of remembrance. This is uh, God's diary or journal where he records the righteous acts, deeds, and motives of his chosen people. Ancient Persian kings kept record books like this um, in which they recorded favors done for them so that they might one day return the favor. What we see here is that God sees all. He knows all, and he is an avid journaler. He journals all things, good and bad, and they are all recorded for all eternity. So what has God journaled about you? Does it reflect your knowledge of his holiness? Is it a righteous act recorded in his book of remembrance? Does it say that you are uncompromisingly his? As we work through Malachi chapter 3 verses 13 through 18, the truth that we will examine is that God's uncompromising righteousness demands an uncompromising commitment to him. So in Malachi, God reacts to the commitments of two different groups of people, the rebels and the remnant. Those are our two divisions. So first, the rebels in Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. From the opening verses of Malachi, the Israelites have leveled accusations at the Lord God Almighty. This is the ninth time that God rebukes the rebellious people of Israel in the book of Malachi with the words, but you say. So verse 13, it says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? Your words have been hard against me. This is what God tells them. This summarizes all the accusations or all the hard words against God from the people who had wandered far from God. The evidence is clear. The heart of their problem was the problem of their hearts. When in Malachi chapter 1 verse 2, God said, I have loved you. They said, prove it. When in Malachi chapter 1 verse 6, God said, you have failed to honor and respect me as your father. They said, what do you mean? We've brought you all the sacrifices you've asked for. When God followed up on their response by saying that they despised his name by offering polluted food on his altar, they respond in Malachi 1.7 by brazenly asking, how have we despised your name? In Malachi 1.13, they dug their heels in when God insisted that their polluted sacrifices profaned his table. They snorted and they said, we're sick and tired of making all of these offerings. 
When in Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, God says that you are a faithless people, unfaithful to the marriages of your youth. Therefore, I no longer accept your offerings. They whined. Why not? What does our personal life have to do with anything? When in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, God said, you have weird me with your words. They said, evildoers are good in your sight. You delight in them. And where is the God of justice? When in Malachi 3, 7, God said, return to me. They feigned ignorance and asked, how shall we return? In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, God told them, you are robbing me. And they responded by asking, how have we robbed you? Eight times. Eight times the Israelites' words were hard against the Lord. And still, they have the chutzpah to ask, how have we spoken against you? So in verse 14, God tells them exactly how. You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So first, Israel says it is vain to serve God. In other words, serving God is useless, worthless. It is of no profit to them. You see, their relationship with God was transactional. If they did something for him, they expected him to to give them something in return. They saw no profit being done in serving God. For them, it was a complete waste of time. Their hearts were compromised by their failure to know God's character. Therefore, they failed to see how God's uncompromising righteousness demanded an uncompromising commitment to him. Their failure on this continues to be revealed in verse 14 when they ask, how does keeping his charge profit us? Now to keep God's charge is to obey his commands or to walk according to his law. God's people benefit from their obedience to God's law, spiritually, emotionally, and yes, sometimes materially. These people rebelled against God's law because they saw no value in it. They were not prospering materially, so they refused to keep God's law. What a failure of the heart. Normally, the Jews loved God's law. To their minds, God's law was good. It gave life. The Psalms are full of praise for God's law. But the motive For keeping God's law is not about getting something from him. God's people walk in obedience to God's commands because they love God. And they trust that what he ordains is best. This was not true of these rebels. They did not love God and they did not trust God. We have seen this throughout the book of Malachi. In verse 14, their hard words against God continue. And they ask, what is the profit of walking as if in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Now, to walk as if in mourning means to repent. Their complaint here is that they've already repented. They had already mourned before the Lord of hosts. 
Still, God had not responded as they believed he should. All of their outward behavior was right. Why wasn't God giving them what they thought they deserved? Again, the problem was with their hearts. They were merely going through the motions, checking off the boxes. But their hearts weren't in it. Their hearts were still hard and far away from God. This is further evidenced in verse 15, when their accusation becomes even more outrageous. They not only repeat what was said in Malachi 2.17, they take it a little further. And they say, the arrogant are blessed by God. Evildoers prosper. They put God to the test and they still escape judgment. What they're saying here is that God is unfair. He is unjust. Even more appalling, they are denying his holiness because they are saying he allows sin to go unpunished. They held God in very low esteem. They failed to see his mercy, grace, and compassion toward them. They failed to see him as the righteous and holy God he is. These people did not know the character of God. They lacked any understanding of his righteousness. May that never be true of you and me. To say that God is righteous means that he is just. He is fair. He always does what is exactly right for every person in every circumstance. He shows no partiality or prejudice. His righteousness is holiness in action. He is infinitely pure. Therefore, he is opposed to all sin. He demonstrates this in his treatment of his creatures. Because he is uncompromisingly righteous, he demands an uncompromising commitment to him. The rebels of the nation of Israel had a compromised view of God. Therefore, they had a compromised commitment to him. They believed that God was unjust and unfair in his treatment of them. And they accused him of blessing evildoers more. Then he blessed his own people. This is the fruit of a transactional relationship with God. A relationship that demands profit from good works or right outward behavior. But the truth is, is that God is uncompromisingly righteous. Believers can trust that ultimately he will deal rightly with all people. And ironically... This included the rebellious Israelites. Our first truth is that God's uncompromising righteousness ultimately deals rightly with all people. How might you be accusing God, the Lord, God Almighty, of being unfair or mistreating you? What is your reaction when you see evildoers prosper? Which of God's attributes will you meditate upon to adjust your thinking? This journal entry may help. A journal entry 800 years before the birth of my son, Jesus. Dear diary, today my beloved son, Jonah, 
finally obeyed my command to preach repentance to the people of the wicked city of Nineveh. I know how hard it was for him, and he he is still struggling to understand why I sent him there. But I did see his obedience, however small and however compromised it was, by his inability to understand my mercy. He does not know my heart for sinners. I want no one to perish but all to repent and come to saving faith. How I rejoiced when the people of Nineveh repented and became part of my treasured possession. You see, Jonah initially disobeyed God because his greatest fear was that God would forgive Israel's greatest enemy, the, the Assyrians. His disobedience to go and preach repentance from sin to them accused God of being unfair and unjust. He wanted no part of prospering these evildoers, and there was nothing in it for him. He needed a deeper understanding of God's character. He needed to meditate on God's uncompromising righteousness. He needed to trust in God's sovereign love and mercy to ultimately deal rightly or justly with all people. You and I need to do the same when God does not give us what we believe we deserve or respond in the way we believe he should. In our next division, God turns his attention to those who did know him and did trust him, his remnant That's our second division, the remnant, Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Verse 16, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Did you enjoy imagining what those who feared the Lord might have been saying when they spoke with one another? Now, the Bible doesn't say what they said, but it does say that the Lord paid attention to them and heard them. And twice we read that they feared God. This is an important fact. Not only did they fear God, it says that they esteemed his name. They held him and all that is true of him in high esteem. They exalted him as the living God. So knowing all these facts informs or sanctifies our imagination regarding their conversation with one another. I imagine that they encouraged one another to stay the course amid their difficulties by rehearsing God's glorious character, praising him for how holy and awesome he is and how faithful he has always been to his covenant with them. I imagine them bemoaning the unfaithfulness of their fellow Israelites and their priest. As they sought the Lord in prayer, surely they prayed for them to turn from their wicked and godless ways and return to the Lord. I imagine God's people begging for revival among their people, that as they sought the Lord again with heartfelt repentance, the nation of Israel would return to her glory days. Above all, I imagine that their passionate worship was arising out of their pit of despair. God never left his people without hope. He never does. They put their hope in him when all seemed so very hopeless. They knew God's character. He is righteous, holy, and unfailingly 
faithful. The people in this conversation were God's remnant. Throughout Scripture, we read that God always preserves for himself a remnant of people faithful to him. A remnant who fear him. Now, this kind of fear refers to a reverent fear, an awe of God's holiness and uncompromising righteousness. Old Testament scholar Walt Kaiser says that the fear of the Lord is a virtual synonym for the righteous living or holy lifestyle that grows out of this fear. Fear, then, becomes the motive that produces holy living and an attitude of complete love, trust, and obedience to the Lord as one's master and savior. Indeed, when we see and we understand God's uncompromising righteousness, we will see and understand that it demands an uncompromising commitment to him. This is what it means to truly fear the Lord. The last thing to note in verse 16 Um, is the book of remembrance written before God about the remnant. God records the actions of the people who fear him, and they respond to the uncompromising righteousness of God with an uncompromising commitment to him during a time of great difficulty, a time that caused the rebels to rebel. God wrote down their every faithful act. Every time you and I respond to God's uncompromising righteousness with an uncompromising uh, commitment to serve and glorify him, he journals it in his diary. When you and I keep this in mind, it should change how we act. And the glorious truth of verse 17 should also transform our thinking and acting. It says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Commentator Robbie uh, Gallaty says that this verse contains a magnificent allusion to the Lord Jesus. God gives us two promises. You will be my treasured possession and I will show you mercy, meaning not giving them the punishment they deserve. God secured the possession of his people forever through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, a marvelous picture of God's lasting remembrance that continues to this day. So in the first promise, the Hebrew word used for treasured possession or special possession literally means a collection of jewels. Every child of God is loved and treasured like an immensely valuable jewel. That is how the sovereign Lord of all creation sees those who are his. His remnant is his treasure, and he treasures his remnant. In the Old Testament, the believing remnant was God's treasured possession. In the New Testament, true believers are God's treasured possession. We saw this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, which says that the Holy Spirit was given to us as the guarantee, the first installment, the pledge, or a foretaste of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own purchased possession. 
his believing remnant to the praise of his glory. Now the second promise in verse 17 says that God will spare them, meaning his righteous remnant, as a man spares his son who serves him. Galatea again comments, what an amazing assurance of God. God says, I will save you not because of what you have done, for you have strayed, but because of the promise I made to your forefathers many years ago. God's memory is limitless, and the content of his book is accurate. God's grace is truly amazing. Although his uncompromising righteousness is diametrically or utterly opposed to our sin, he made a way to clothe our sin with his own righteousness through the life, death, and resurrection of his own son, Jesus Christ. Our only proper response is an uncompromising commitment to serve him and glorify him till our dying breath. In verse 18, Malachi summarizes God's thoughts about the righteous remnant and the unrighteous rebels by fast-forwarding to the day of God's final judgment. When we read in verse 17, in the day or on that day, in Scripture, this phrase always refers to the final judgment. On that day, God will make up his treasured possession. That means that he will publicly recognize and openly declare those who are his. He will also declare who is not his. This is what he points to in verse 18. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. While God spares the righteous remnant, the punishment due them for their sins, the godless or those who remain in rebellion against him will not be spared. The rebels who spoke hard words against the Lord God Almighty would one day see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God with sincere hearts and those who did not. Theologian Ian Ducat says that there is a significant difference both in the present and in the future between these two groups. In the present, the Lord has indeed been carefully watching what is going on. God knows what his people say to one another in private as well as in public. He keeps a record of those who fear him and those who do not. He has a different attitude between those who are truly his sons and daughters from those who are not. An attitude of compassion and intimate care. So the question is, what makes the difference between the rebels and the remnant? Both groups are comprised of sinners. Scripture teaches that there is no one righteous, not even one. Yet God clothes those who place their faith in his son Jesus Christ with his own righteousness. Therefore, he fully treasures them as his own treasured possession. So our second truth is that God's uncompromising righteousness clothes his treasured possession. How does knowing 
that you are clothed in God's righteousness. Change the way you think and act. In what ways are you compromising your commitment to him? And how might you make your commitment to serve and glorify God more uncompromising? A journal entry on July 2nd, 2019. Dear Diary, Today my beloved child, Jerry, lost his wife of 70 years. I see his grief and his bewilderment. My arms are wrapped around him. He is my faithful servant. I watched him as he so tenderly cared for his wife as her health declined. At the same time, he never wavered in his commitment to teach Sunday school, just as he has for decades, even though he is now 90 years old. He has allowed nothing to compromise his commitment to serve and glorify me. How I love and treasure him. Jerry is my father-in-law. In a few days, we will be celebrating his 93rd birthday. His uncompromising commitment to serve God paints a beautiful picture of a jewel in God's treasured possession, clothed in the shining brilliance of God's uncompromising righteousness. God has written down every righteous deed Jerry has done in his book of remembrance. What has he written about you? How differently will you live because you now know that God records your every thought, word, and deed? Stop and imagine what God is jotting down in his diary about you. I did that about some women who are very precious to me. Now imagine with me opening God's diary to read a journal entry on February the 10th, 2022. Dear Diary, today my beloved child, Demel, was exceedingly faithful in her service to me. She held on to me as her source of strength to continue serving me with excellence during an extremely hard week. I love her uncompromising commitment to write lessons that exalt the truth of my word. A journal entry on January 29th, 2022. Dear Diary, for years I have watched my beloved child, Gail, Lovingly care for her mother. Today, she had the difficult task of saying goodbye to her furry girl, Maggie. As I collected her tears and held her tight, she steadfastly trusted me to comfort and strengthen her to continue her loving service in my name. A journal entry on December 7th, 2021. Dear Diary, Today, my Abba heart is bursting with pride as my beloved child, Carrie, stepped out with unwavering faith to teach my word amid the chaos of her full and busy family life. She relied completely on my power to deliver her first lecture. She did an amazing job. A journal entry 
on November 19, 2021. Dear Diary, today my beloved child, Denise, shook off her timidity so that she could prayerfully and boldly encourage a friend. She acted as my hands, my feet, and my heart as she ministered my words to her friend. She looked so much like my son. A journal entry on September 5th, 2021. Dear diary, today my beloved child, Celeste, chose to glorify me by sacrificially serving in my church instead of focusing on the overwhelming challenges in her life. Oh, how I love her heart. Now imagine, I'm turning to the next page in God's diary. What has God written about you? Is your commitment to God compromised or uncompromised? God's uncompromising righteousness demands an uncompromised commitment to him. What in your life needs to change so that your commitment to him is an uncompromising commitment? Hear and respond to God's beautiful, precious invitation to you when he asks, will you? Be uncompromisingly mine. Please pray with me. Oh, Holy Father and Almighty King, you are just in all of your ways. You are uncompromisingly righteous, yet you make us your treasured possession, a beloved remnant chosen by grace. Oh, Lord, when life gets hard, help us to fear you and esteem your name just as the Malachi remnants did when they were in hardship. Father, may we always root and ground ourselves in your love, your promises, your provision, and your presence with us as your covenant people. Give us the strength to understand the immensity of your love that surpasses knowledge and be filled with all your fullness. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will inspire us daily to respond to the uncompromising righteousness of God with an uncompromising commitment to him. All this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.